So our gospel text for today comes from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be healthy, full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we live in a world that is oftentimes hopeless. And to cope with it, we build up mechanisms that get in the way of believing the true hope of our gospel. And your Holy Spirit work in us a conviction of your love and your comfort and your willingness to give as our Father as we deal with hopelessness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So worry is next week's subject, but today's subject is hopelessness. And it's the one topic that every time I preach about it, I get myself in trouble. <laughs> so I'm going to try to build my case to get to the spiritual basis of why I always get in trouble on this one. Because when we talk about hopelessness, we're dealing with a deep spiritual truth that many, perhaps even in this congregation, spend a lot of time ducking. Now I'll grant readily. Scripture often has a springtime view of life and creation. The psalmist looks out at creation and he sees the pretty birdies, the blooming trees. Everything is spring and it's all God's handiwork displayed, as the hymn says. And even those of us who don't always feel that way, we're not to be grim cynics. Paul does command that we are to pray for all classes and conditions of men, that we do pray for those that are sick, and that the Lord does work in our society to make good things. Even Jeremiah, the prophet of doom and the biggest downer in the Bible, commands that the Jews are to pray for the city in which they are exiled, saying its people's prosperity will be their prosperity. But scripture also has an autumn, a fall view, one that sees the foliage falling, not necessarily the pretty colors. They're a desert people, the Israelites. The water often dries up. And as the book of Ecclesiastes puts it, all is vanity. It's chasing after the wind. And to quote the contemporary philosophers of the band Kansas, it's just dust in the wind. And Jesus, who is sensitive to both sides, the entire counsel of God, focuses on that fall look today. Crucifixion to the world. No matter how we spin it, all earthly good is passing away. If no one steals it, if you store it well so the moth can't get at it, time and rust eventually breaks everything down. See, no matter how you put it, the world crucifies us. 
it eventually eats everything. And even science and secular wisdom holds to this, because even atoms, they fade and patter out on a half-life. Astronomy has confirmed that the Lord will roll up the heavens like an old used garment. Astronomers tell us that eventually the vastness of space itself as the stars go pop, 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 will just be an empty void. It cannot be a deep spiritual truth if it does not handle our mortality. And our mortality in a church of all places cannot be a shock. And no matter how much we may psychologically desire and strive to and do very much else, the hour of mine and your passing is each day nearer. And it falls to us Christians to choose in our short time whether to do with God or to stick with the world. And biblically, the result of the latter, sticking with the world, is known. First John, using Jesus' teaching today, states, the love of the world is enmity with God the Father. Worldlings honestly have no room for confidence in this matter. Because every single psychological plank you can try to build up over this pit of mortality eventually wears out. Your money will not save you in the end. Your fame will not save you in the end. Yet how many Christians spend their entire time worrying about these flimsy supports? Can't you feel them creaking under your weight? Money does get so sick that it can't buy medicine. The arm gets too old to swing a sword. And every time you buy milk at the grocery store, they print the expiration date on the top. Even the Greek pagans, they felt secure in the sense that change, chaos was constant. But eventually, even the marbles roll to a stop. Yet knowing that, how many people spiritually, psychologically, and the way they live their lives, flee to those very things to give it meaning. All these things that we covet, that we want, they say themselves, do not trust me. Our cars break down on us and say, do not rely on me. Our money gets taxed saying, you can't keep me. The food in the fridge rots. But we imagine that we can rest our souls secure in this world. And today's truth is the world is passing away beyond just questions of sin and anything else. So what grounds of confidence can we have in any eternal, internalness of being if we keep building our spiritual tabernacles in moth-eaten tents? I confess I tend to be pretty dull of heart here. Sometimes I'm living a worldly life. I'm not caring about my sin, and it's as if I've got an 800-pound gorilla on my back, and I stand on money or goods or pride or something else to keep me out of falling into this pit. That's the same thing as hopping up and down. Ma, look at me. It's not going to break. It's not going to break. And you can just feel God the Father sitting there going, no, child, get down from there. We as Christians have a completely different ground of assurance than worldly goods. Scripture says, the word of the Lord remains forever. And what is his word? It is Christ Jesus himself, crucified, died, and resurrected. Scripture says, heaven and earth will pass away, 
but his word endures forever. And his word is that Jesus has flung open the treasury of heaven. Christ tells the disciples that in his very hand is the deed to your heavenly home. All God gives is good. And all the spiritual good he gives knows no corruption. No one can break into steal it. No moth can get in to eat it. It will never rust. But there's only one way to receive it, and it's why we struggle so much. We have to make a choice about worldly goods or heavenly goods, because as Christ says, that's going to say where your heart is. Home is where the heart is. And today is a come out from among them. So my friends, every single hour, the most miserable wretches, those who are alone, those who are poor, those who are maimed, those who are sick, they come to Christ and in him become far richer than any of the people that oppress them will ever imagine to be. They build on the solid rock and they're secure. They dwell in a new Jerusalem where there is no sorrow, there is no shame, there is no rot, there is no rust. And the angels can only puzzle because such wretches come to Christ, not knowing him from the outside because a missionary has come, but many dear Christians, and these angels must puzzle so much, these who have salvation, these who have resurrection from mortal death, how many Christians still refuse to dine in the halls of heaven at the banquet of the Lamb, preferring futile business and striving and backbiting and all this worldly muck to get nothing but moldering, nasty, hard biscuits. That's why Christ laments here, if the light of the eye is darkness, it's dark indeed. And Jesus even gets to a plea here. He pleads again, you cannot love money and God, but our darkened eyes, we, we try to say, oh, I can have a little bit of the world and I can have a little bit of God. Our darkened eye responds, you can't love money and the God. Well, yes, I can. First, such hardness of heart to bounce back the word of God immediately. Perhaps that's why Christ said it's easier to put a camel through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get to heaven. But Jesus bears the scars of the whip here. See, we have a character. His name's Judas. Sold Jesus out and betrayed him with a kiss. Judas was a full-blooded disciple. He cast out demons. He healed people like all the twelve did when they were sent out. But Judas also had a second side. John 11 shares that Judas loved money. He embezzled. Jesus loved on Judas, and I do not deny that Judas loved on Jesus. Jesus gave him honor, gave him spiritual meaning, gave him a task. But Jesus had been warning Judas, what I'm warning you right now. I'm sure Jesus was making eye contact with Judas on this one. Be not of this world. And Judas acted like I'm afraid a great many in our religion tend to do. I can do both. I can have a foot in one and a foot in the other. Judas never made the surrender to the Lord on this subject. And what became of Judas, the one man of whom Christ himself said it'd be better if he wasn't born? Well, that's a risk that can happen to all who choose to stay in the world and never come to the heart of Jesus, who build their treasure down here and never laid claim of what is above. You may be shocked when you found that you have sold and betrayed Jesus. But that's what Judas he was playing the same game did. And Judas, he realized what refuse the pieces of silver were. He 
realized immediately in deep despair how hollow this life is alone. His tragic end of self-destructing. Judas even proved the second truth, that we never even keep any of these things for which we sell our souls by just throwing the coins away. Now, the mind is prone to two reactions to this kind of message. First, we bury it. Or at least one person has probably been thinking, oh, but there's been rich saints. Yes, and there's also been poor people worse than any rich person has ever been on this issue. The point isn't the cash. Jesus just uses cash because it's personal. But there's plenty of other things that are personal and worldly goods that we get attached to and build idols out of. To get personal, it's things like money, relationships, politics, power. And all these things, we face a choice. Faith in a worldly view or faith in God's word. And in all such things, the choice is of amazing gravity, the same way it was for Jesus. Now, the second way the mind tends to respond to this, and it's a laudable resolve. Some people resolve to live this out. Some wonder if they can. Some even despair and say, hey, this is too high for me. We are just flesh and a few pints of blood. Here today, gone tomorrow. The deepest truth buried down in all of this here is we cannot in ourselves live this way. We cannot in ourselves live out of the world. The life of Christ is only available by being within Christ himself through what's commonly referred to as the born-again experience. Salvation and sanctification, to put it simply, only come by receiving this into faith. That's why he or she who crosses arms and says, I can't really do that, highlights their own problem. Right now, the thing is, we must all go to this fountain, post-haste. Drink deep. This isn't a go-home-and-think-about-it. Faith must immediately always grasp that, that our faith is in God who accepts every life, heart, and mind given to him. Our faith is that God's actually a father. See, with worldly thoughts, worldly attempts to be more religious, worldly this or that, our religion stays worldly. Faith, which can only admit its poverty, can only make a decision, at best can just toss up hands and say, Lord, you handle it. Faith must accept that that is what God accepts. Because the work of it is completed in the cross. The work of it, of paying it off, of making whatever supplications need to be done, is paid for at the cross. The power of disattachment from these worldly things is the power of the cross. We are baptized into the death of Christ, and when we die to this world, all of its troubles, all of its riches are foregone us. But we are resurrected into the new eternal life that we have in Christ. And the question here is just, which path? Will we insist to continue to hope in the world? God's creation, which time and again pleads us, don't trust me. Or will we have faith to believe in the Father and his only begotten Son, whose empty grave shows that he will never change or decay, who's taking on flesh when he didn't have to, who loved us when he didn't have to, shows that that is his character. 
Because what this all boils down to, the love of the world and having a heavenly mindset, it comes down to one question of faith, which is the whole shebang. It's simply, do we believe that God is a loving Father giving all? Do we believe that? Because whenever we cling to worldly things, I think we're believing something else. We're believing God is a miser, and we got to keep what we have. We are living this Christian life in a nervous victory. Yes, God is making things go well, but where's the lightning bolt going to come from? We are accusing him of a baseline hostility that our faith cannot abide. That is why to love money is to hate the other master. My friends, God didn't spare his own son. So what's he going to deny us at this point? We often just overlook how great God's love is for us because we make it a platitude. It becomes, oh, God loves everybody. Just like if everyone's special, no one's special. My friends, God's love is an amazing thing. Us, this world, our lives, we are fading flowers. We're waves in a storm. We are nothing in and of ourselves. But because just who God is by his personality loves us such as that. And I've learned that. Because even in this hard lesson, this is one of the few I actually have a life experience on. And I remember the night that my grandfather died. I was six, maybe eight. And I never liked my room. It was the place where the Black Widow spiders came down and got into the bed with me. It was never particularly safe. But I was sitting in this dark night, a six-year-old little boy whose grandfather had just died, and I was sitting there as the terror of death unveiled before me. And my complaint was sore. I remember the prayer that day. I cried out to the Lord, why was I born? There seemed to be no good or compensation in all the future I had out before me that would make up for this dread and this knowledge that somewhere out there right now was a fly swatter. And now that I was alive, I was going to eventually get smacked in a moment of extreme, unavoidable terror. At six, with many years ahead, I felt no moment to matter except for that one thing that was coming. And it was an experience of a total curse. That total curse rests on everyone who puts their faith in this life only. Because this life can only ask the question up to God, why did I have to be born to die? It took me a great while to work out the answer to that. I think I had to be a little older to understand it. But as the faith questions, the very first one that we put in there, as the catechism answered it, why am I here? Why do humans exist? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to show forth the glory of God. See, God so loves us that he desires his kingdom within and without us. God so loves us that he's not going to even show his glory and his powerful hand unless he pours it out through us. In Christ, God so loves us that he's bound us to him that he forever wills us to live in and through us. We were not created for this life. We were not created for this mortal death. And that is why Christ, through his resurrection, shows that death itself will not even hold us. We have been called out now, and it is available to each and every one of us now to come out with Christ into that resurrection. 
And that is why in next week's lesson, we're going to get into don't worry, but why we have to go through these steps of today to achieve that. I can't sugarcoat it. I do funerals, people. This life is doomed. This world disappoints again and again and again. And it's simply a lie to say otherwise. But you and I, by our faith, by the faith of our fathers and all those who came before us, we know and have the witness of the scripture that you were not made to live this life. Lives of sin, you were not made to live that life. A life that is passing away and chasing only worldly goods. You were not made to live that life. Come out of it. You were made for an eternal life. One God is offering right now if you've never taken it. Don't go to sleep with one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. Just step out into the way of life. Throw it up to God. Because the father, he beckons his children home. He sees that prodigal turn around and he comes running. And as we sang, you'll find comfort in his arms. This gets me to one of the concerns. We preach salvation through faith alone. How do we know we have saving faith? Well, my friends, the way the gift is accepted is just the quiet prayer. Lord, I take it. That prayer is far more difficult than any of us ever imagined, but it is powerful enough to defeat the grave. Let us pray. <laughs>